1: Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News travel editor Peter Greenberg.
0: Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, from Nairobi in Kenya, with two very special guests. The African continent has 54 separate independent countries, but getting from one to another is often a challenge because of antiquated air rights between those countries. The concept of open skies is, in many cases, just a concept, and it hasn't happened in Africa yet. And only a few African airlines are even profitable. And this even as tourism numbers start to soar. So I sat down with Alan Kilavuka, the CEO of Kenya Airways, to get his take on the situation in Africa and also to the U.S.
1: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500
0: Okay, it's time to commit. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Alan Kulavuka, welcome,
2: sir. Thank you very much, Peter.
0: You know, I'm going to date myself now because when I first came to Kenya in 1981, you had, I remember this, you had three 707s. 1 DC9 and a couple of Fokker's. Yeah. That's that was it, right? <laughs> that was it. And and those were not new 707s. No. Nope, no, They were hand-me-downs. They were hand-downs. You've come a long way since then. We have. I yeah. mean, I remember when you started service to the United States, what year was that? 2017 uh, or
2: 18? 2017.
0: 2017 yeah. with Dreamliners. Yes. And you got more on order. Correct. So, the real question that everybody wants to know is you know, how do I get to Kenya? Because Connectivity in Africa or within Africa is a is still a big issue, right? Countries are we're, we're very, you know, it's protectionism or sovereignty, uh, uh, open skies is still not really being followed the way it should be. And I would like to think that it's sort of anti-competitive because you have 54 countries in Africa. You don't have 54 airlines. You have about 33, mm-hmm. if I last count, mm-hmm. right? Actually, maybe 32 because mm-hmm. South African Airways
2: Girl, said goodbye in, t-
0: in 2020. No, no,
2: it's still flying. I know, but not the way, not what <laughs> not the know. way it was before. No. no. <laughs>
0: so from your perspective in the CEO position, mm-hmm. how do you do one thing? Roots to the United States, mm-hmm. other than New York, mm-hmm. right? And roots within the region that mm-hmm. connects everybody.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So Peter, thank you very much. Um, you, you started right in, right? Started with connectivity. Uh, but, but you're right. Kenya has been here a long time, eh? 46 years old. Uh, so very proud of that legacy. And uh, unfortunately, the problem we have is scale in Africa, the scale of the airlines. Now, you spoke about uh, open, uh, open skies or liberalization, but that's just one of, of the many concerns that we have as, as uh, people who run aviation in Africa. Uh, I, in my mind, the bigger issue is, is scale. Okay, uh, you mentioned 33 uh, airlines. I mean, if you look at the number of actually dormant um, uh, airlines, you actually a few. lot more than that. No, 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 a lot more than that, right? So so you're talking about over 100 airlines. Uh, some of them are not functioning. I mean, most of them are and so on and so forth. Uh, but you can't so, count
0: an airline if it's not functioning.
2: That's correct. So what, or some with, with one aircraft, right. two aircraft and so on and so forth. Uh, As you know, in aviation, you need scale. You need scale so that uh, it it helps you from the economics point of view. It makes the airline unit costs of uh, service much lower. The problem is that if you're sub-scale, you become, by definition, more expensive. Now, that is coupled with… And less competitive. And less competitive. So, that is coupled with uh, poor infrastructure, you know, airports and uh, navigation and so on and so forth. So, that increases your cost of operation. And then we have, uh, you know, many, many countries, they levy taxes uh, because they see aviation as a... As a revenue generator. Exactly. So, and in Africa, as you know, Africa is the second largest continent in the world. Uh, And connectivity through other means, through rail, um, through roads, um, is not as, as good. You know, in fact, there's a lot of deficit there. So the only way for me to get from here to Lagos, or the most effective way to do that, is to fly, not by train and by road. So, train, uh, sorry, uh, aviation is a necessity in Africa, but because of infrastructure deficits, because of taxes, because of subscale, it becomes more expensive, and so it discourages uh, growth and it discourages um, people to fly. But
0: it's almost like a vicious circle because it, it keeps, is a vicious cycle. It, so, how do you break that?
2: So, you have to start somewhere. So, in my case, for example, we talk about we need to consolidate the fragmentation of, of, of uh, airlines. Um, so we have been having discussions with South African Airways, which is not, it's subscale, like, like we are. Uh, any airline that in my mind is less than 100 aircraft is, is really subscale. Um, today? I mean, today, right? How many aircraft do you have? Uh, so today we have 38 operating aircraft. Uh, then we have a subsidiary, which has seven. That is still subscale, OK? Um, so we need to grow this up um, to something that is more uh, substantive. 100, like I said, 100 plus aircraft. And then that way you share costs, uh, that way you make economies of scale, uh, that way you share information, training, uh, maintenance, and so on and so forth. Then you reduce the, uh, the, the cost of travel. We also need to convince our governments to improve the infrastructure Okay. Well, I was thinking, access- okay, so here's my question. <laughs>
0: you would think, given the power of travel and tourism yeah. and the average GDP that it provides, mm-hmm. that it would not be lost on governments that if you don't have airlift, the economy suffers.
2: That is true. I, I think uh, maybe our, we, our countries have been satisfied with just enough, right? Because, for that's example, that's not a good
0: branding message.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, and, and that's the truth because if you look at the uh, how many tourists are we talking about in, in, in Kenya, for example, we talk about between 1.5 to 2 million uh, visitors. Uh, how many do you ta- how many tourists do you talk about in Paris, just Paris alone? We talk about 30 million. Okay, so if we improved our infrastructure, if we improve air travel and so on. Uh, that could grow at least. Let's double that, right? Let's at right. least double that in the short run, and, and encourage traffic between you know uh, between us and, and the and the rest of the world. Um, and we have a problem as well. I mean, let me give an illustration um, of. I'm talking about taxes and levies. So, on average, travel within Africa, we levy something we call a uh, passenger service charge, an equivalent of something in Europe and the US. That is at least double. So, if I fly from here. A one-hour flight into Entebbe in a, Uganda in Uganda um, that's $50 um, departure tax and then $50 back now as you know in many places in Europe that's the cost of travel right yeah, That's the cost of a ticket yeah so our argument is why don't you at least domesticate? you talked about liberalization domesticate regional travel so we remove these taxes and the cost of travel can drop from today which is almost triple that amount to Sixty dollars, maybe a hundred dollars maximum. It will encourage more people. And you to got fly. those taxes gone? Um, Have you no. not yet? Not yet. We ah. are we're having discussions about this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. See, that's one big problem, right?
2: That's one big problem.
0: The other big problem, which, by the way, I think is a, is an opportunity. I'm a huge fan. Mm-hmm. You're going to laugh when I say this of Fifth Freedom flights.
2: Yeah. No, I'm not going to laugh. That's uh, that's a good one.
0: I mean, if you take a look at the the issue, the example of Ethiopian.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Two years ago, if I wanted to go from Los Angeles <clears throat> to Dublin, mm-hmm. I could fly Ethiopian. Mm-hmm. Who knew that, right? Mm-hmm. And then they went on to Addis Ababa, right? Mm-hmm. Today, they have a flight from New York on Ethiopian to Abidjan mm-hmm. and then on to Addis. Mm-hmm. So they're opening up other parts of Africa with an airline that's not based in the Ivory Coast.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I would think that that's a great opportunity for you yeah. to do that.
2: Yeah, we do have fifth freedoms as well. I mean, we, we, for example, we fly from here to Lusaka in Zambia, to Harare in, uh, in Zimbabwe, we, we are working on one from South Africa into Lilongwe into Nairobi. We do a lot of Fifth uh, free Freedom in the West Africa from Accra and Ghana into Freetown uh, and Libreville. So, yes, we do have some Fifth free Freedom, and they are very helpful, like you said, yeah. because many of those countries don't have airlines, and um, you know, doing this helped is helps. And then
0: there's one more thing that's happening now, which I don't think anybody anticipated, and that's the huge explosion in travel after mm. the pandemic. That's correct. I mean, every airplane in the United States is full. Yeah. Airfares are at near historic highs. Yes. I mean, the round trip airfare from from New York to London right now is $2,300. Yeah. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. how do you compete in that environment?
2: Yeah. No, we, I mean, the same thing is happening here as well, right? So there's a lot of demand for travel. Our, you mentioned New York, our New York route is full. Okay. Uh, so you can't get space into New York. That's a good problem. Uh The concern we have, in fact, is the lack of capacity, because I'll give you an example. So we have one of our aircraft, which has been down on maintenance since September. A
0: 787? A
2: 787, because there's there's no spare parts.
0: It's a supply chain.
2: It's a supply chain issue. So now we have a different problem. I mean, (laughs) initially we didn't have enough passengers, now we have too many passengers. Then now we don't have capacity because, you know, we don't have, uh, we have a supply chain problem. So... You know, aviation is very interesting. There's always uh, something to to worry about and something to deal with.
0: And you have to anticipate that and budget for that.
2: Now, how do you anticipate for lack of spare parts? You can't. Yeah. How do how do you, how do you budget for COVID, for example, COVID nineteen pandemic? You can't. So it's I. I always I had a discussion yesterday. I say this is probably one of the most complex industries that you would have anywhere in the world. Exactly. Yeah. So.
0: Taking a look through your crystal ball,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? We see all these passenger numbers just rising and rising and rising. Mm. Is that sustainable?
2: No, 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 it's not sustainable. I think it's pumped up demand. Uh, most of them are premium leisure, okay, who have not traveled maybe for a couple of years now. They have saved and so on, so they're traveling. Uh, so that's going to go down for sure. Uh, the flip side to that is that we don't see as much corporate traffic particularly premium coffee traffic, as we saw in 2019. And that was high yield. That's high yield as well. So that might replace, maybe not one for one, but but that might replace the premium uh, leisure traffic. So
0: going down the road, as you're seeing traveler behavior changes and traveler purchasing choices change, um, I happen to agree with you, you can't sustain this, but it does have to be redefined. Yes. Because a lot of business travelers who are traveling Because in, the, in in this era where you can work from anywhere, right. they can extend their trip and just stay in that location
2: right. for another week. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So a couple of things. I mean, for us, we are kind of, should I say lucky or not? So we, You can let's, say let's, lucky. Go ahead. <laughs> it's not really luck because it's it's a bad thing on its own. Because, you know, the Africa is not developed. I mean, it's not mature yet. Aviation is not mature. We only have about 2% of global air traffic. That's it. That's it. Two percent, and remember, this is a, a big continent—a big continent with about eighteen percent of the global population. So completely playing below our radar. So that needs to grow, and it's going to grow, and it's growing. Uh, we but estimate that. But what's going to lead the growth? Uh, small regional carriers. No, well, everything together, I think. Yeah. Right, because this is a big continent, so you need both small regional carriers. We also need uh, larger airlines to to transport people. Um, we also. I said lucky because we are now implementing something called Africa Continental Free Trade Area. So remember, when we are saying aviation, we're not just talking about people, we're talking about goods as well. We're talking about cargo. Um, So there's a lot of cargo that's going to be moving within the continent, which supplements uh, passenger travel. Hopefully
0: with some of your spare parts.
2: Yes, with some of my spare parts. (laughs) 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 Yeah, so I think that there's going to be growth uh, in and by itself, you know, of course, the West, particularly Europe and America, those are mature markets. There's push to to to, to travel more on trains, which is more sustainable uh, from a planet perspective. So probably stagnated, I think. Africa is going to grow. Africa needs more, not less.
0: But really, you have nowhere to go but up.
2: Yes, absolutely. Now, of course, this is countermanded by something. Now, there's pressure globally that there should be less. Uh, Air travel uh, because of carbon emissions. Um, Okay, so that makes sense, but doesn't make sense. But that's
0: not going to (laughs) happen. You know that. I know that. Listen,
2: there's. I mean, people have made commitments, right? So, okay, we have signed up to uh, net zero by 2050.
0: But that gets down to sustainable aviation fuel.
2: Yes, but sustainable aviation fuel is on by itself. Is uh, is a poison chalice? Okay, it's a good thing because, of course, it reduces, oh, reduces uh, carbon emissions.
0: But they're not doing it at cost yet.
2: But it is increasing the cost either three or four times, depending on how you're looking at it. Now, in, in Africa, we're already expensive, as it is. So that makes it even worse. Yeah, it makes it even worse. And my argument has been, so we are subscale. We emit, I said we are 2% of global aviation. Now, we in Africa, oh, sorry, in aviation, aviation, uh, aviation emits between 2 and 4% of global carbon. If you're 2%, that means that Africa emits 0.0002%, okay? It's nothing, okay? I'm not saying we should ignore it. I'm saying the bigger priority for us is growth. The bigger priority for us is connectivity. Um, and we can do alternative ways of substituting, carbon emissions, we're doing a lot of tree planting, we're doing a lot of you know, clever, smart travel, uh, recycling, and so on and so forth. That's gonna be helpful. Now, if we use sustainable aviation fuel, which we, we are happy to, we would have to ask that we, we, we get help uh, for people who are emitting. I mean, airlines have 800 aircraft. We I just told you, we are flying 38 or 40 aircraft. Uh, people who are flying 800 aircraft should pay for those ones who are f- flying 40 aircraft. Right? I mean, that's just what, the way it works.
0: But then there's the economy of scale. And the bottom line is, I remember when the first color television set came out, It was $2,000. Now you can get a color television set for about $110.
2: That's true as well. But how long will it take?
0: Hopefully not as long. So
2: today, if you look at sustainable aviation fuel, uh, the supply only has 2% of the need. By 2050, we'll need about 450 billion liters of sustainable aviation fuel. Today we have 2%. To scale up to 2050... Uh, yes, you're right. We know as Of course, it grows and technology changes, and so on, it will reduce the cost. But will it reduce the cost to today's prices of fossil fuel? That's I doubt it.
0: So then, what's this delicate balancing act you have to do between growing your airline, which means substantial investment in new equipment, new technology, training, not to mention fuel, mm-hmm. right? The intangible, mm-hmm. right? And the world at large, which could be disrupted at any moment.
2: Yeah. It's it's, it's a tricky balance. So we we have a plan that we divide our plan into five-year chunks because that's only the way it makes sense. So we have a long-term plan that says all these wonderful things about growth and so on and 100 aircraft plus. But we have a short-term plan, shorter-term plan of five years. During COVID, we even discover that five years is actually long, (laughs) right? (laughs) So we even take the five years and split it into half. So so what, what do you achieve in the next two years and what do you achieve after that? So... In the next two years for us is to get back to uh, profitability and then from 2017 be sustainable in all fronts, not just from a, an environmental point of view, but make sure that our balance sheet is strong enough to sustain going forward.
0: Any U.S. airlines coming to Nairobi?
2: Not so far, but they're coming through us uh, uh we, we are about to, to, I mean, we've announced a, a few deals with a lot of big U.S. companies. We have a code share with Delta. Uh, You're part, you? part of Sky Team, aren't you? We're part of Sky Team. So that helps. In fact, we're going to strengthen that a little bit further. I think we're going to make an announcement next week. Uh, we have also some uh, interlines with a lot of U.S. carriers, JetBlue, um, uh, I think United as well. So that helps as well, right? So... Once we strengthen the relationship, particularly with our Sky team partners, Delta, it means that there will be a similar travel from Nairobi into the US through, uh, through Delta and other US carriers as and well. And right
0: now, you're only flying from Nairobi to New York.
2: Today, we're flying from uh, Nairobi to New York. We have a plan. I just mentioned the five-year and so on plan. Uh, after five years, we're looking at other points in the US. We haven't determined which ones yet, probably Washington, probably uh, Boston, and so on uh obviously we will have to acquire an aircraft that gets there so it will have to be a dash nine uh dreamliner uh but there's plans uh, for other points in the u.s as well
0: and frequency
2: so frequency that's uh, a good question so today because it's peak season now it's going to be peak season we're now flying every day to new york to new york in fact we have an opportunity to double that to do a double daily at least in the short run uh, so we will go back down to seven days. If, if, we get, if we get double daily, or if we get 10, um, that we can do 10, uh, and then go back to seven and sustain the seven every day. And uh,
0: right now, every one of those planes is full.
2: Now, before, during, before peak, before now, they were not full. Uh, but we noticed they started filling up mid-May, uh, a little bit directional um, towards uh, the south. Uh, but now going forward, they are full all through until September.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. So, what about going back to connectivity? If I'm flying New York to Nairobi, do you have a schedule and a route system that allows me to connect easily in Nairobi to other flights that you? Yes,
2: yes. There's a clear connectivity uh, from Nairobi to the rest of our points in Africa in particular. Uh, And that's that's why it's important to have the right scheduling and the right timelines. So there's a lot of, uh, the connectivity of the US flight connects directly into all our banks to the rest of Africa.
0: Now I gotta ask the indelicate question, Wi-Fi. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You knew that was coming. No, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have it on the planes yet?
2: No, we don't, Uh, uh, but we're working on it. We're working on it. Uh, Initially, we thought it's not, I mean, we did a survey actually. Interestingly, we did a survey and it wasn't top of the mind for most of our passengers. But the trend um, is forcing us to get to that point. Sometimes I think, why don't you just want to relax? I mean, you're flying. Come on, just sit back, read your book, and relax. Uh, but in you know why?
0: Because people don't change their lifestyle when they change their location.
2: No, I think that's true. But yeah. from the
0: North American market, look what Delta just did. Mm-hmm. They're offering free Wi-Fi on every flight. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that, and that's a market changer. Yeah. yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yes, we are working on it. Um, you know, we have another small problem. Our Dreamliners are the Ali edition of Dreamliners. So they don't have provisions for, uh, for the antennas, uh, for the Wi-Fi. So we have to retrofit this uh, Dreamliner. So it's quite expensive for us. Uh, we were first in the market with these Dreamliners. Now we have to pay for it because they didn't have the technology then. But we're working on it.
0: See, that's the lesson from the movie Saving Private Ryan. Not an yeah. idea, Not a good idea to be in the first wave. Exactly correct. <laughs> exactly correct. <laughs> so how many more planes do you have in order?
2: So we don't, we, right now, we, uh, we're getting two planes, not an order, actually. We're we, we going for uh, used aircraft uh, for now, um, trying to contain our costs. We want to grow reasonably. Uh, we haven't ordered yet, but we have a plan to take. Uh, so every year from today to for the next five years, keep, if you think about it, on average, you're going to have three aircraft uh, into, into, into our fleet. So, so it'll it's be management. a while
0: before you get to 100.
2: Remember I talked about consolidation? Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have to get 100 on your own, right? So you could get to 100 with other airlines as well, right? So that's the that's point, right? So if you, for example, we have, let's say, if we get to 50, South African, we currently have about 10 aircraft, um, they get to 20 or whatever the number is, and then we have a West African carrier getting to 20. So that's 100, right? Yeah. So you get to 100 in the next five years.
0: And if you buy it all together, you get a better deal.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Exactly. My thanks to Alan. And now a long conversation with a Kenya lover who also happens to run one of the more unusual hotel and resorts in the world, right in Nairobi. You may be a guest, but that doesn't stop the giraffes from letting you know, in an up-close-and-personal way, whose house it is. A visit with Mikey Carr Hartley. They own and operate a very special place, Giraffe Manor Mikey Carr-Hartley, how are you,
3: sir? Good morning, Peter. Thank you.
0: I mean, this is truly an amazing endeavor. It goes back to the 70s, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, so it was started in 1979 as a sanctuary, um, and they brought in the first three um, Rothschilds giraffe from northern Kenya. And they were already, at that point, endangered. 100%. Um, At that point, there was 76 left in the wild in Kenya of this species. And the reason being? Um, Mainly habitat loss, uh, degradation of the environment, and poaching um, was the fundamental issue at the time. And so it was a small start, but a a meaningful start. Correct. And, you know, at the same time, you had Idi Amin using giraffe to feed his uh, army and as target practice. So across the border in Uganda, they were being decimated at the same time, too. At a rapid rate hugely yeah so
0: okay it's one thing to say let's bring three giraffes in but what what do you do with them I mean uh, giraffes take up a lot of real estate
3: well they do so Jock and Leslie uh, Leslie Melville the owners of Giraffe Manor who brought them in had a Maasai giraffe uh, roaming around so they knew that the Maasai giraffe and these Rothschild giraffe were able to live in this environment So they brought them in and they had a huge um, area to expanse, to travel and traverse and feed. So they weren't feeding them per se, um, but they knew that they needed to start a, a breeding program in order to protect this iconic species of giraffe. And they started it? They started it there and then they followed on with the AFU, the Giraffe Center, in 1983, which has been hugely successful at reintroducing Giraffe that have been bred at the manor back into the wild. Today, we have 29 or 30 that have been released back into the wild and have increased the population from 76 um, in Kenya to nearly 1,000 today.
0: Wow. You know, in so many other areas that they have sanctuaries, they're, they're very quick to tell you that in many cases, they don't release the animals back in the wild because they don't think they can survive out there.
3: Well, these giraffes integrate very quickly with other giraffes, and even when we bring in new bloodlines back into the Giraffe Centre and Giraffe Sanctuary, um, they integrate very quickly and become um, much more relaxed and habituated as wild giraffe. And it works both ways.
0: And of course, you have some warthogs on the property.
3: Plenty of warthogs that enjoy the, the grounds and and the nibbits left over. I'm sorry, but they're my favorite animal because they get no respect.
0: <laughs> they're, everybody thinks they're ugly. I think they're quite beautiful. I love the way they run. For those of you who've never seen a, a warthog run, you'll understand the term hightailing it because that's exactly how they
3: run with their tails straight up in the air. hundred percent. I mean, they are the characters of Africa. And, you know, you just have to watch The Lion King with Pumba. And they are definitely, you know, they're the stars of, of the savannah. <laughs>
0: and they're always late for an appointment.
3: I mean, they're 100%. always got
0: to go, got to go, got to go, got to go.
3: Yeah. Right? Uh, In
0: fact, some of the people who visited Giraffe Manor, ranging from, uh, my goodness, Walter Cronkite, I think they named a warthog after him.
3: I think so, yeah. Yeah,
0: and then you had Johnny Carson. Interesting story about Johnny Carson. He never really traveled very much when he was starring on The Tonight Show, but he was fascinated by Africa and made one trip um, with his wife and was so uh, taken by it, he took up Swahili and he learned Swahili. Uh, and then came back to Los Angeles, and went out and bought a boat, and named it Serengeti.
3: Wow, that's amazing! I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean that was his. And he came to Giraffe Manor. Yeah, he did. Yeah, Ellen DeGeneres, right? Yeah, she was there a couple of years ago, uh, just before she um, she was given the Ellen DeGeneres Center in Rwanda, um, and yeah, she was an amazing lady to have there, just so cool, so relaxed.
0: But walk me through what an experience at Giraffe Manor is like, because you don't just show up and check in at the hotel. The minute you walk in, I mean, you are surrounded by giraffes.
3: Well, the giraffes, you know, they come up um, to feed at tea time, and they come and, you know, check out who's at, who's on the front porch. Well, what you're saying is it's a different definition of high tea. Definitely. I mean, it's high tea with a high neck. High neck, yeah. hundred percent. And they... They, they're they very relaxed. They come in. They love it when we've got kids there. They just love the noise and the chaos there. Um, and then after about half an hour, they decide they're going to go and forage back in the forest again. And then back in the morning when everyone wakes up at dawn, they come back and stick their heads into the windows and have breakfast with you. And by the way, he's
0: not exaggerating. When I was here on the second floor, I was having breakfast. And the next thing you know... There's a giraffe head on my head.
3: <laughs> 100%. The big ones, right the, big through the window. ones, can, can reach the second floor and they're very good at asking for their breakfast too. This one didn't ask. <laughs> <laughs> Just whacked you anyway.
0: Oh, yeah, I got, I got a little bit of a headbutt. Yeah, but the thing that most people don't realize until you feed a giraffe is the size and length of their tongue.
3: Yeah, so it's about 18 inches long, the tongue. And uh, it's very dextile. It can move in all directions, it's fairly coarse as well. And they're they're after those you know we feed them a, a culmination of um, alfalfa a little bit of acacia and some bran pellets mixed in so it's very nutritious um, but they they know how to grab those things they they're going for the eggs yeah.
0: <laughs> but let's get serious for a second because there is the sanctuary work that you do number one and number two it's indicative of what needs to be done throughout the entire country
3: correct I mean. You know, we're very progressive in in Kenya and in Africa, actually, in the protection of bigger open spaces. But key species like giraffe, um, there's been this thing called the silent extinction. This is, you know, people don't know that the giraffe population um, has declined by 30% since the 80s. We had 155,000 giraffe in Africa uh, in the mid 80s. And now we're at 117,000. This is Primarily due to degradation of the environment, climate change, poaching, any number of these factors. But Is there you know, enough for them to eat? Uh, depends on where they are. Yeah. That's one of the problems. So with climate change and, you know, destruction of the environment where they live in acacia woodland, um, it's getting tougher and tougher for them to find um, good habitat. And they also, remember, they're fairly easy to kill if you're a poacher or you're hungry and you need to feed your family. So it, it is a huge problem right across Africa. Cool. Let's talk about some of the other
0: animals that may be still endangered here. Because hmm. poaching is still going on. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, when we did our special with the president in, in, in Tanzania, she took me into a warehouse. Which was, I mean, it was just the most depressing it was, it was sort of like Raiders of the Lost Ark, but with human with, with animal remains, all those tusks lined up that they've been able to seize from the poachers.
3: Yeah, so poaching is still a, a huge threat. Mainly elephant poaching um, still goes on throughout Africa, but uh, rhino poaching is a huge problem in southern Africa. But more recently, we have... Um, Pangolins, you know, pangolins are being poached for their scales um, and being shipped over to the Far East. We also have, um, because there's less tigers left in the world, we have um, lion bones, leopard bones also being used for body parts in traditional medicine too. So it's not just limited to the big elephants and big rhinos that we traditionally know about. It's these other species are suffering the same plight as well.
0: And part of the work that you do is trying to help that as well.
3: Correct. Um, basically partnering with different organizations, um, trying to raise awareness, but also trying to protect these species.
0: I, I always want to emphasize that it's not an attraction and it's not a ride. It's not, you're not a theme park, is what I'm trying to 100%. say. hundred
3: percent. It's primarily a conservation-based project. And you know, we're able to support that through guests coming to stay at the property. We've been speaking to Mikey Carr Hartley, the co-owner
0: of this amazing place called Giraffe Manor, which I've had the privilege to stay in. And that brings up the word privilege, because if you want to go see the gorillas in Rwanda, be prepared to pay for it. Um, and, and I think that's intentional on the part of the government there. They want to make sure that, that uh, they limit the amount of num- the number of people who are going, that the people who are paying for it will appreciate it more. And not only that, that a certain percentage of the money that you're paying actually goes back to the local communities. You're doing that in, in your
3: lodges as well. We're doing exactly the same. Um, what the, the Rwanda model is, is, you know, you're paying, you get what you pay for. They do an amazing job and they're able to um, limit supply because we don't want to overcrowd the gorillas and have them too habituated. And in the same breath, we're trying to do the same. We're Limiting the number of, of people that are able to come to Giraffe Manor and our other properties because we don't a want to dilute the experience of the guests staying there, but also it has we have a bigger philanthropic um, arm which is called Footprint and it's our Footprint found Foundation that has longer reach to the conservation of other species as well as giraffe and that's key that you have to have this fundamental backbone in the company to be able to be sustainable for the future.
0: You know, I remember coming back here in 1985, and then again in 1995 with a group of my friends, and I think they were getting bad advice because when they got here, they had all brought like pencils and crayons, and I said, why? He says, well, we just want to give it to the kids. And I said, what makes you think the kids need that? Right. And, and, and so th- to the extent, if you're going to visit in the local communities, which, by the way, I encourage everybody in a very big way to do, find out first what they really need. Right.
3: Find out from the people on the ground, find out from the communities what they need, what they, their immediate needs are. It may be as simple as just food or security or a classroom. They don't necessarily need pens and books. This might be what we think they need, but, you know, fundamental issues that come to, to the fore will be brought to you by the, the tribesmen, the local ladies, the mums, the, the dads. You know, that's what they know what they need. I remember on that trip,
0: that discussion happening because they brought their, their pencils and crayons, yeah. and it was enlightening for them to realize that wasn't going to do the trick. Yeah. Um, and what that one village needed out way out in the Mara was they needed transportation to get the kids to school, because everybody was walking, and they were walking miles. And so two of the people on our trip contributed enough money to get them a bus. I mean, that was that was a
3: game-changer. It's, you know, it's the simple things. We, we don't think about often these um, things like, how do you get to school? You know, in the Maasai Mara, they're walking past elephants and lions and buffalo. You know, it's the safety of the kids is paramount as well. Once they get to school, that's a different story. You know, that's a more of a government issue. But, you know, it's the, you know, also to when you're at school, you need food to be able to think. If you don't have a full tummy, you can't concentrate for the full day. So it's a school feeding program is much more beneficial so that the kids get a better education. So when they come out the other side, they are equipped to deal with you know today's world. And a portion
0: of the money that's spent for people to come and spend the night at Giraffe Manor goes right back.
3: 100%. It all goes back. So we, we partner with, um, for Giraffe Manor, it goes to Giraffe Conservation Fund, um, which is a big organization looking after giraffe, to AFU, the Giraffe Center. And then we have individual programs in and around Kibera, where um, we give um, to a school in the slums in Nairobi. Um, and then in our other, other properties, we have more centric programs to their specific areas.
0: And for my listeners, stay tuned on this because if you go to our website, petergreenberg.com, we will give you the websites for all of those organizations so you can contribute before you even get here. Uh, you'll be doing a lot, of, a lot of help. What's the biggest surprise? I, I should have even made this the first question, but when people come to Giraffe Manor, I, I can speak for myself, but I'm not going to do that. What's the biggest surprise for people when they first get
3: there? I think the sheer size of the animal when they're next to them and the fact that they do come and do stick their heads through the window. It's not photoshopped. It's not, um, it's not that it happens a one-off. Um, and, you know, they're not being forced to come up. It's they're at their own will. And that, I think, is their biggest surprise. Right. They're not robotic. No. <laughs> You don't have to replace any batteries. No, no, no. It's 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 their instinct, and it's what they want to do. And they're free. If they don't feel like coming up, no one's herding them up to come and, and see the guests at the manor.
0: And your biggest challenge?
3: Our big Well, one of the biggest challenges is um, probably space. You know, we have to relocate giraffes out. Um, we've got a critical mass of about 13 to 14 giraffes when they like now you saw yesterday there was four new babies there they'll have to be moved out Um, and the biggest challenge is where to move these giraffes because there are a a specific species that need to be kept isolated from other giraffes so uh, space once we move them is going to be the fundamental um, challenge because the breeding program is doing well um, which is a great thing but that's going to be our biggest problem
0: My thanks to Mikey and to Alan Kilavuka, And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news... You know what to do, just log on to petergreenberg.com.
1: The Ion Travel podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio.
0: If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.
1: Duke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings early and ad-free starting May 1st with a 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.
3: Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News Business Analyst, Certified Financial Planner, and host of The Money Watch podcast